Schools should be continuously adopting a resiliency mindset. They should be thoughtfully going beyond just the detecting and analyzing the early warning signs of things and actually relentlessly learning from the threats and the crises. So part of that resiliency is really utilizing those crises as opportunities so that you can potentially put in what's necessary to prevent them from happening again. My name is Dr. Linda Henderson-Smith. I'm a licensed professional counselor and an educational psychologist by training. When crisis strikes, communities often turn to their school leaders to help get them through the difficult experience. Crises come in many shapes and can last for varying lengths of time, but there are some key practices school leaders can rely on and use consistently to help get their staff, students, parents and guardians, and themselves through a crisis. Whether adjusting to a pandemic or handling a crisis inside their buildings, school leaders set the tone for navigating through the developing situation and recovering from it. Hello and welcome to Progress Report, a podcast produced by the National Center for School Safety, the Stop School Violence Program National Training and Technical Assistance Center, funded by the Bureau of Justice Assistance. The center is a project of the University of Michigan School of Public Health. In episode three of this series, What It Means to Be a School Leader, Dr. Linda Henderson-Smith discusses leading through a crisis, the complicated feelings that can arise during stressful and anxiety-inducing situations, and how school leaders can guide and interact with their community during a crisis, including lessons learned from the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. To begin, Dr. Linda Henderson-Smith defines what we mean when we say crisis and what the difference is between a positive and a negative challenge. So for this discussion, I think it's important that we define crisis, right, as an event, a series of events or circumstances that overwhelms our abilities as individuals or as schools to handle that event, series of events or circumstances. So we're talking about, you know, things like natural disasters or community traumas or, you know, somebody in in the school family passing away, right? Like we're talking about things that can really truly overwhelm multiple people within our school settings and can create a crisis situation. So it can be a crisis within the school for, you know, as it relates to one person, it can be a crisis as it relates to the whole school, or it can even be a crisis as it relates to the community and how it impacts the school. And so what is the difference between a positive and a negative challenge and how are people affected by them? At the individual level, it's important to understand that everybody faces challenges in their lives and that not all stress is bad. Stress is really kind of on a continuum between what we can actually handle, which can be seen kind of as some positive challenges because we have control over them. We have the skills that we need to actually resolve them. And they there's a positive expectation as it relates to that outcome. And then on the other side of the continuum is, is those are those challenges that overwhelm our system. They overwhelm our resilience skills, our communication skills, the way in which we can handle them. And so they become negative experiences when um, an individual feels that they have little or no control, right? And they're not really able to predict, predict the outcome and they're not really able to, to manage the situation. And so because of that, it's perceived as a threat. When a person experiences a crisis, their body and mind can react in different ways. It is important to understand these many different reactions and have a clear definition of what they mean. 
So when we think of a crisis, obviously two words come to mind, anxiety and worry. Can you explain what anxiety and worry are and how they're different? Anxiety is rooted in our biology. In our brainstem, we have what's called the survival mode response um, that is other people, you know, as fight, flight, or freeze. And it's innate to us, right? Our, the anxieties of that are innate to us and rooted in our biology. Worry, on the other hand, actually is, comes from the cortex. So it's actually about the thoughts, the thinking, the processing that happens at that level of our brain. And so the worry is a, is a feeling that comes out of our thought processes, not necessarily our innate responses to things, but both of them are normal. You just mentioned the survival mode response. Can you say a little bit more about what that is? Our survival mode response is our basic protective system within our bodies. Um, we are hardwired to try to survive. And so our body has an innate protective factor that tells us how to protect ourselves. We can either fight, we can flight, or we can freeze depending on the situation and what our body innately thinks is the best way to protect itself and stay alive in that moment. In previous discussions for this series, we've talked a lot about resilience. I imagine understanding how to be resilient is especially important when we talk about addressing crises. Can you remind us what it means to be resilient and what resiliencing is? So we talked, uh, we've talked a lot about resilience, which is the ability to adapt um, well to stress, trauma, and tragedy. But resiliencing is a verb instead of a noun. And it emphasizes a temporal focus that involves kind of relentless feedback loops of anticipating problems, collaborating, and improvising promptly to cope with adverse events and the learning that comes along with that. So resiliencing can happen at an individual level, but also at a school level, across all levels, across time, and time after time, so over and over again. Successfully leading during the crisis means understanding that your staff may be experiencing difficulty dealing with their emotions and completing their tasks. Leaders must know how to address their community members' stress and anxiety and be able to engage with them wherever they are in their survival mode response. So are there any interventions leaders can take to help address staff anxiety during a crisis? Well, recognizing that um, staff anxiety is innate, right? It's biological. It's hardwired into who we are. I think there's a couple things that we we need to do as leaders. The first one is to communicate. As I said above, I think communicating, over-communicating, and making sure that what we communicate is kind. So Brene Brown says clear is kind, unclear is unkind. We need to make sure that when we're communicating, we are communicating everything that we have to communicate in clear ways that people can actually understand. The second is to provide regulation. So really kind of teaching people how to, to calm their own brains so that they can actually respond, process, and learn. When people's anxieties are high, their brain is actually unable to respond, process, and learn. And so we've got to teach them how to kind of calm that down so that they can actually be in a better place to hear, to learn, to respond, to process. And then to the best of our abilities, we've got to answer the question. So we've got to be empathic and actually use our active listening skills to understand better, but then answer the questions that are asked of us as to the best of our ability and as honestly and thoroughly as possible. You spoke previously about the survival mode response and how there are different ways a person can respond to a crisis. 
So how should leaders engage with people who are experiencing a survival mode response? And is there anything that they should avoid doing? Regardless of where someone is, whether, whether it's, it's in fight, flight, or freeze, when someone is in that space, as I just said, they're not able to respond, process, or learn. So the best things to do is to actually engage in, in those regulation techniques and grounding techniques to calm the brain. Things like going for a walk. Um, playing music, engaging in any activity that's kind of repetitive and patterned and relational and respectful and helps the brain to to calm is going to be important. What you should not do in those moments, no matter where somebody is, is try to engage in processing something or teaching something. Because in that moment, honestly, what I always say is in that moment, all people hear is Charlie Brown's teacher. They hear the womp, womp, womp. They don't actually hear what you're saying to them. So working with them to calm, right? And to get them out of that survival mode response by infusing two to three minute kind of calming techniques is a really great way to respond in those moments. We've talked a lot about how leaders should engage with their staff, but what should leaders do to maintain their own mental and emotional well-being during a crisis? What they can do is practice and build their own compassion resilience. So um, the Compassion Resilience Toolkit for educators is, is a great resource to kind of help. But what it talks about is that we all need to be thinking about how we can focus on ourselves, heart, strength, mind, and spirit. And so heart is about how do we build relationships and engage in relationships with other people that is actually beneficial for us. You know, it takes 15 minutes a week to build and maintain a relationship with someone else. So in the heart space, we've got to figure out kind of our friends, our families, how we can reconnect with them, but also how we connect with ourselves and how we build relationship with ourselves and don't lose ourselves in this. The second is strength, right? That's our body. So that is all the things that we all know we're supposed to do. So drinking water, sleeping, exercising, eating right, making sure that we're we're making sure that that's connected. The third is is really focusing on on our mind and so making sure that we're emotionally and mentally strong. And so many people do that many different ways, but you know, meditation and connection with oneself is one way to really engage in that. And then spirit, making sure that We understand what our purpose is, what our values are, and how what we do connects to that and pushing that forward. If we have all four of those in balance, we can be pretty, pretty well off and prepared to create a safe space for ourselves and to be able to be resilient. You mentioned relationships. Can you say a little more about the importance of professional relationships during a crisis and what steps leaders can take to develop and maintain them during moments of stress? Relationships are key. Healing happens in relationships. Healing doesn't happen just willy-nilly in isolation. Like that just doesn't necessarily happen. And so leaders need to really understand that the foundation of all relationships is safety, trust, and communication. And so we've got to make sure as leaders that we understand that if there's no relationship, there's no trust, there's no safety, then every communication is perceived as a threat. Every interaction is perceived as, as a threat and can cause that crisis to escalate. So you've got to build relationships with students, with staff, with parents in advance of a crisis so that communication during a crisis is perceived as trusted communication versus a threat that can escalate it. So some of the things, right, we've talked about over communicating is obviously best. But the other thing that's important for leaders to really do in a crisis is to allow people to voice their concerns. 
their thoughts, their feelings, and potential resolutions is also important. We've got to make sure that staff, students, parents, community members have a safe space to communicate what's really going on, what they're really feeling, because you can't, you can't address an issue if you don't know or don't have it identified. And so making sure that people, that you're communicating, but you're also allowing them to communicate um, so that they can receive the peer support that they need in order to get through the stress and the crisis together. And then of course, teaching, modeling, and practicing self-regulation in ongoing ways to support yourself and them. Knowing that you're gonna potentially be talking about something that um, may cause more stress or may escalate the, the crisis, be proactive in regulating people or practicing those things before, during, and after the conversation. Take a break and, and, and re, refocus and regulate in the middle of it. And then again, at the end, so that there's an opening and a closing to the emotions and the overwhelming anxiety that may come. So we were just talking about professional relationships, and I'm wondering if there is anything a leader can do to help build personal relationships with their staff as well. After experiencing the last year of the COVID-19 pandemic, I feel like we can all agree how important it is to have good personal relationships during a crisis. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that, that leaders can do to build personal relationships one of the things that I've seen a lot over this over this um, time of COVID-19 and other crises is the ability to have kind of check-ins and not necessarily just like, oh, we have supervision once a, once a week or once a month or whatever, but actual intentional check-ins of, hey, I just wanted to check in on you. Like whether that be text or through Zoom or Teams or whatever, right? Like Google Meet or however you do it, just having those one-on-one check-ins with staff is really important um, to building the personal relationship and, and allowing them to understand that you two are human and you and we're going through this together. Um, I think the other thing is encouraging the building of personal relationships between staff, between staff and staff, between staff and students, right? And not inappropriate relationships, but the peer support check-in kind of relationships that allows for a principal or, or a leader within a school building can't necessarily check in on all 200 plus staff, but they can build relationships between teams. They can encourage team building so that team leads can can create space to have those types of check-ins with each other. I think it's really, truly necessary for people to realize that work is a part of who we are, but it's not all of who we are. The COVID-19 pandemic has reminded us that a crisis does not necessarily have to be limited to a single moment, but can in fact stretch on for months and even years. When a crisis continues for a long period of time, leaders will often have to contend with uncertainty and the ongoing unpredictability of when the crisis will end and what will come next after it does. Even now, right, there's a lot of uncertainty around COVID-19. And so even though people think of this as a new normal, we're still actually sitting in the middle of a crisis. And so we, it's not necessarily that it's changed. We have to continue to treat it as such because we there is no clear end in sight. There is no solution that is, you know, everything is fixed. All the policies and practices and everything is back. To, there is no normal at the present moment. And the stress of that uncertainty continues to cause stress in students, staff, parents, teachers, and leaders. And so leaders have to be aware of that. And they really need to be cognizant of the fact that though it's been over a year, this is still not necessarily the new normal. This is still a crisis situation that we are in the middle of. And so in, in 
one example I'll give you, right, is in certain counties, they're already back in the classroom. However, over the past few months, they've had to quickly transition for weeks at a time because someone tested positive for COVID. So they had to shut down the whole school and they had to clean up, right? Like all of those things. So the stress of not knowing from week to week, will I be teaching from home or from the building? Will I be learning from home or from the building? Will I have to get daycare for my for my children or will they be in the classroom? That is truly stressful for all. And it's, to be perfectly honest, it's maddening for many people. Um, and so that level of uncertainty is sure to push people into their fight, flight, or freeze. And it's it's a stress. So we need to actually be continuing to focus on people's emotional needs. And we need to make sure that that's a priority because work-play balance is necessary in order to make this sustainable. Do you have any examples of schools that you feel like have done a good job of navigating through the COVID-19 crisis? There's a couple of schools that come to mind that that did better as it related to that, right? Like I know several schools who realized and recognized pretty quickly that not just teachers, but the students and families, you know, depended on them for food, depended on them for certain things. And so they enacted ways for students to be able to pick up their lunches for the week. Or um, I know in Atlanta public schools, they actually had the school buses deliver the either the breakfast and or lunch that they would normally get at school instead of the kids having and and parents having to go to them they used the school buses to deliver them to make sure that their physiological needs were met so that they could right and and got them the technology that they needed in order to continue to engage and allowed their teachers to also have the technology and and food and things that they needed so like they they set it up from the beginning that they didn't know how long they were going to be in this crisis and so they wanted to make sure that the physiological needs were met understanding that if physiological needs were met and safety needs are not met then the ability to learn is slim to none so i mean i think there's different schools across the country that have done great things i think we're to be perfectly honest, because it's still a lot of uncertainty and a, l- a lot of unknown. People are just trying things out and seeing what sticks in their communities. They're talking to the students, they're talking to the parents, they're talking to the teachers and figuring out what are the needs and what can we do, and they're getting creative. Obviously, the pandemic immediately comes to mind when thinking about long-term crises, but are there any other examples of what a long-term crisis might look like? I mean, there's there are crises that have long-lasting impacts on students and, and parents and teachers, right, and communities that it, it doesn't just end in that moment. Um, Flint, the Flint water crisis, right? Like in the beginning, yes, there was a lot of, oh my gosh, what's going on? But there's still repercussions from that happening. And every year it's still uh, somewhat of a crisis situation as it relates to students, as it relates to the teachers, right? As it relates to what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, who's going to lead, right? All, all of those things. And so I think the um, the reason why we defined crisis, not just sometimes as a single event, but a series of events or a set of circumstances is because series of events and sets of circumstances can go on for long periods of time. And it's still a crisis. It's still overwhelming to the system. It's still overwhelming and causing anxiety. It's still an actual problem and adaptive challenge that needs to be addressed. Every crisis also presents an opportunity, an opportunity for leaders to learn and adjust their practices to prevent future crises from occurring and leading through them better when they do. 
should be continuously adopting a resiliency mindset. They should be thoughtfully going beyond just the detecting and analyzing the early warning signs of things and actually relentlessly learning from the threats and the crises. So part of that resiliency is really utilizing those crises as opportunities so that you can potentially put in what's necessary to prevent them from happening again. The second thing is really kind of fostering concrete practices and steps through accountability and exploration. So it's about creating an atmosphere where trust and courage thrive and pays off. So we've got to be focused, right? After we look at these opportunities, we have to then look at what are the next steps and steps that we really have to do and put in place in order to prevent these things from happening again. And then leaders, right? The last thing is we've got to insist that our schools really invest and that we really promote reflection, learning, and resiliency. So as a leader, it's our role, especially in crisis navigation, to not just talk about it, but be about it and be constantly communicating from a place of resiliency and growth and learning and not a place of musts, should-haves, and things of that nature. So Ultimately, a resiliency approach kind of echoes the wisdom of Aristotle, who said once, excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And so resiliency um, practices should be utilized ongoing, always, forever. It's about a mindset. It's about learning from every opportunity and about leading from that place of learning and growth ongoing. We've talked about a lot today. <laughs> How would you summarize our conversation and what do you think are the biggest takeaways leaders need to remember when they're dealing with a crisis? I mean, I think the, the summary for me is that crisis happens. We know that crisis is going to happen because it always happens, right? Like events, series of events and circumstances always happen. And so as leaders, we have to be prepared and proactive to the best of our ability to manage and handle those things. And so we have to recognize that everybody reacts differently to stressful situations. Not everybody's fighters, not everybody's fighters, not everybody's freezers. And so we have to be flexible enough to engage with people differently depending on where where they are and how they respond to the stressful situation and the crisis situation. The second thing I think is super important is that, especially in the middle of crisis, leaders need to make sure that they are taking care of themselves, taking care of their staff, taking care of the students, and if possible, also supporting the community. So realizing and recognizing that work play balance and self-care is super important to sustainability of the work. And so because sometimes we don't know how long crises really will go on as evidenced, right, by COVID-19, we have to be willing and flexible to know that we have to take care of us so that we can continue in, in the navigation of that crisis. The other thing that we have learned is, especially when the crisis is worldwide or community, like a community crisis, right, it's important to take breaks. Take breaks from watching the news, from social media, from reading, listening, because the constant influx of all of that information is a lot of trauma inputs and can really overwhelm our systems. It can overwhelm our, our anxieties and create higher levels of worry. So not only should we be taking those breaks, we should actually be encouraging our staff, our families, our students, our parents, our communities to also take breaks on a regular basis to give our, our systems time to calm and not stay at that elevated level of anxiety because it's important to know that that high level of anxiety, right? It impacts our body. So we've got to take care of our bodies. It impacts our sleep. We've got to sleep. For many people, it also impacts their 
if they want to eat and things like that. So we've got to kind of disconnect so we can take care of our bodies and make time to kind of unwind and calm. And then I think the other thing that I I would highly recommend as it relates to all things crisis navigation um, is make sure to build relationships, connect with people. Checking in, checking out, checking on people as individuals, not just as staff, not just about the work, but as human beings and checking in with students and families about that is super important and and listening to them so that they know that they are seen, heard and cared about is important. That actually helps reduce the stress. Those healing relationships helps reduce stress and can promote actually the, the, that we ourselves and the people that we work with take care of their mental health. All of those things are super important because crisis tends to overwhelm us. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. For more information about the National Center for School Safety, visit our website, nc2s.org. You can also check us out on Twitter and Facebook. This episode of Progress Report was produced by the National Center for School Safety at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Additional resources and information can be found in the show notes. And music is thanks to Mackay Beats. This project was supported by Cooperative Agreement Number 2019-YS-BX-K001, awarded by the Bureau of Justice Assistance. The Bureau of Justice Assistance is a component of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs, which also includes the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the National Institute of Justice, the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention, the Office for Victims of Crime, and the Office of Sex Offender Sentencing, Monitoring, Apprehending, Registering, and Tracking. Points of view or opinions in this document are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice.